this is Mark Mofsessian. I'm the co-director of the Center for Law and Religion at St. John's. I'm joined once again by my friend and colleague, the Center's other co-director, Mark DiGirolami, for an episode of Legal Spirits, which is our podcast series on cases and issues in law and religion. You can find past episodes archived on Apple iTunes, on our website, lawandreligionforum.org, and also on other streaming platforms like Android and Spotify. Well, hi, Mark. What are we talking about today? All right. Well, uh, good to see you, Mark. And uh, today we're going to be talking about a case that was argued in front of the Supreme Court actually a couple of weeks ago, uh, Shirtleff versus City of Boston. Uh, and the case is generally about whether uh, a municipality here, Boston, can uh, decline a private group's request to fly a religious flag on a city hall flagpole pursuant to a policy, a municipal policy, uh, where the, the city flies flags at the request of, of many other private uh, constituency. And so the case involves uh, some questions of uh, religious freedom as well as the law of free speech. And actually it raises some issues that run kind of parallel to our last podcast on uh, uh, Kennedy versus uh, uh, Bremerton uh, uh, County, particularly some interesting questions concerning the Establishment Clause. Yeah, so this is another law and religion case at the court. I mean, it turns out this is a blockbuster uh, a blockbuster term for law and religion cases. There are a number of them uh, are going to be decided. Um, and I think this is also a confusing case for a few reasons. Uh, first of all, the relevant doctrines are highly fact-specific. They involve lots of multi-factor tests and so on. Um, second, some of the relevant facts in this case remain obscure, uh, especially respecting whether this was government speech or private speech. And finally, if there is an Establishment Clause issue in this case, at oral argument, the parties seemed to agree on it, which is one reason why a few of the justices hinted strongly that the parties really should be able to settle this case. So we're going to see what happens in this case. I wonder what the justices thought uh, at conference, what they said at conference about this. Well, the plan for this episode is to go through the facts of this case and also the First Circuit's decision. Uh, then Mark will talk a little bit about the oral argument in the case. And finally, Mark, we're going to talk in more general terms about some of the interesting themes in the cases that the court is deciding in this area. Uh, we want to say that some of these themes have been suggested to us by our listener, Kevin from Richmond. <laughs> we're, talking about, we're talking about Professor Kevin Walsh at the University of Richmond, who, who gave us some ideas. We're going to talk about them. Uh, and then at the end, we'll venture a guess about how the court might resolve this case. And personally, I think the court could well issue a very narrow ruling against the city of Boston based on the facts, um, a, a narrow ruling to which Boston will easily adapt, I think. Uh, and I think the court will avoid a broad ruling on the viewpoint discrimination slash establishment clause issue in this case for reasons that we'll talk about. Yeah, I, I think that sounds just about right to me, Mark, that the justices were suggesting that it shouldn't be too hard for the city to make pretty clear that this is government speech uh, if it wants to go that route. And in fact, I expect, you know, even if even if the even if uh, the you know uh, petitioners win here, I expect the city to do just that. Maybe um, limiting the flying of flags to the display of flags of foreign nations, or 
maybe with some kind of sort of official mark, or maybe they got like an official standing up next to the flag raising to to indicate that this is government speech or something like that. But, you know, as usual with these cases, you and I, at least I, I think you're in this camp too. We, we hope that these are occasions for the court to sort of clarify uh, pieces of, of its doctrine, particularly its its establishment clause doctrine, which is so famously a mess, um, and uh, um, and and maybe to clarify it for the purposes of making sure that municipalities don't make some of the quote unquote mistakes uh, that they have been making with respect to the interpretation of of, uh, of what the Constitution requires. So um, so let's start at the start. Let's start with the facts of the case. Uh, the petitioner here is Harold Shirtliff. Uh, the founder of an organization called Camp Constitution. Uh, this is a volunteer association that offers classes about U.S. history and whose purpose is to introduce its students to the Judeo-Christian heritage of the United States. Um, and for Constitution Day, uh, something that we're familiar with, happens uh, uh, in sort of mid to late September uh, uh, every year, um, uh, although I've always actually kind of wondered about the constitutionality of having Constitution Day, but that, that's a separate matter. Uh, anyways, for Constitution Day in, in 2017, Camp Constitution wanted to host a number of speaking and sort of celebratory events at City Hall Plaza in Boston. And, and one of the things that Camp Constitution wanted to do was fly what it calls the quote unquote Christian flag. Um, well, Mark, and, uh, I want, Mark, I want to interrupt you here. They don't call it the Christian flag. This is the thing. It is the Christian flag. I mean, it's 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 really very prominent in mainline Protestant denominations. So so maybe you wouldn't have heard of it, but it is not just what they call it. It is there is something the Christian flag. I see. Oh, well, I, I wasn't I wasn't aware. I know about the Vatican uh, flag, but I, I wasn't aware of the. Uh, of it. Anyways, uh, it's good to know. Uh, 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 at any rate, this is a flag with a cross on it. Uh, no surprise. Um, that they wanted to flag uh, for that day for Constitution Day as part of the flag display that is outside City Hall. So uh, I don't know if you've probably have you been to City Hall I in have. Boston, Mark? I have. Yeah, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm sorry that you have. It's, it's, it's a it's a tremendously ugly structure, big, modern, blockish structure. Yeah. But they do have uh, three flagpoles outside City Hall, uh, and apparently they reserved. Uh, uh, or they have designated one of the three flagpoles as available for private groups that wanted to fly flags temporarily. Well, you know, it's a brutalist city hall, Mark, and I guess brutalism was a thing at some point. Probably it's not a thing that's going to last too long after these come down, but okay. Anyway, so, so the city says on its website that it displays many flags of many communities and it wants people to feel welcome and included and uh, that this sort of display is to symbolize the diversity of the community of Boston and so on. And there is an application to use this third flagpole on the city's website. By the way, I should mention the, the other two flagpoles. Um, uh, one is uh, displays the flag of the Commonwealth of Massachusetts and the other one displays a, a, a POW uh, missing in action flag and those are I and think, the American flag and the national and the American flag. flag exactly. And those are those are either permanent or semi-permanent displays. And it's really this third flagpole that's the um, that's that's the one that's at issue. So there is this application process. It offers a series of uh, we're going to get into this, but content neutral reasons for denying 
an application, things like, you know, illegality or, you know, you didn't fill out the application correctly or something like that. And it seems like uh, from the record that over the last 12 years, the city has approved hundreds of applications and it has never turned one down. Um, and these have included, you know, cultural, cultural and ethnic celebration flags, the flags of countries, gay pride flags, the Bunker Hill flag, uh, which interesting to know, I actually hadn't realized the Bunker Hill flag has a cross on it, which uh, by all appearances, you can see this actually in petitioner's brief. If you take a look at it, it's got a cross on it, very similar to the flag that Camp Constitution wants to display. Anyways, many, many other flags. Uh, including, I should I should add, the, the flag of the Vatican. I think that was uh, uh, during a time when when uh, uh, Pope John Paul II was was in town. Um, so that's 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 basically where we are with respect to the facts. Okay, well, and here's where we get into some difficult territory factually. The facts you all said I think are sort of are are, are not too much in dispute. But the city says that even though private groups sponsor these flags. The displays are in fact government speech. That is the city of Boston approves all these flags and speaks through them. Um, and the city said at oral argument, if anyone thinks these flags are private displays, that is just a misimpression that the city did not intend to leave. Now the petitioner shirt left says that's nonsense. That's just a pretext for what happened here. This was private speech that the city allowed on public property. So this was a so-called public forum. Uh, and there's some justification for that view that this is just a pretext. Uh, but, but Chief Justice Roberts asked a couple of times during oral argument whether the record needs further development on this point. That is, maybe this case should be dismissed so that the lower courts can develop the record on whether this is government speech or private speech. So we'll, we'll see if the court does that. But I think that is something, something to keep an eye on. Good. Okay. So at any rate, um, setting those sort of factual um, uncertainties aside, the city denied Camp Constitution its request. The city said, uh, look, I'm sorry, uh, but we would like to refrain from flying non-secular, and this was the term they used, non-secular flags. And so according to the city, this denial is consistent with complying, consistent with complying with the Establishment Clause. Uh, so the reason for the denial was, quote, concern for the separation of church and state and the establishment clause, close quote, right? That was that was the reason that they gave. And, and by the way, we're going to get to this. You, you might listeners who are who are uh, devotees of legal spirits, you might recognize in this kind of denial, this municipal denial, the same kind of justification that was given uh, in our Bremerton podcast for uh, denying uh, Coach Kennedy uh, the the right to to pray on the fifty yard line, and and in a lot of other cases uh, like Trinity Lutheran and Espinoza, this theme comes up again and again. The the government says we can't do what the petitioner asks because that would risk an establishment clause violation. Okay, good. So I don't want to give away the game for okay. later, but this is again just something to sort of flag and 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 bracket for for listeners. But at any rate, at any rate, the after the denial the city instituted a new flag raising policy and uh, one of the with a number of rules and one of the rules was that it the city was not going to display any flags that are quote inappropriate or offensive in nature or those supporting discrimination prejudice or religious movements close quote so that was, that was after the fact they came up with this after the fact after the fact after the denial they say well we we better make a policy 
And, and in this policy, they lump together uh, discrimination and prejudice with religious movements, right, 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 right in the same line. Okay. <laughs> At any rate, um, that's, that's sort of the, uh, that's the sort of a, a last little point with respect to the factual layout. Okay, and so Camp Constitution sued, uh, alleging that the city had violated the free speech clause, the establishment clause, and the equal protection clause. Good. Okay, the case makes it its way eventually to the First Circuit, and the First Circuit ruled against Camp Constitution. It says the city is justified in denying Camp Constitution its flag request under the Supreme Court's government speech doctrine cases. And, and these are really, um, the, the First Circuit pointed to two Supreme Court cases, Pleasant Grove City versus Summum and Walker versus Texas uh, Division uh, Sons of Confederate Veterans uh, to say that these cases require this result. And just, just briefly for listeners, Summum was about a private group that requested its religious monument to be included in a permanent display in a, in a public park. So in a city park context, the court said the public would think with respect to a permanent monument that is installed in a city park complex that the government is speaking in including that kind of monument. So that, that was that case. Walker was about a state here, the Texas's rejection of, of a specialty license plate design featuring the Confederate flag. And the court said that again, people would associate the license plate with government speech, so the government was entitled to deny the request. Mark, and the, and the First Circuit agreed that those cases controlled here. Yeah, that's exactly right. The, the, the First Circuit agreed for similar reasons. The First Circuit held that the public, really focusing on, on two legal elements, Mark, you know, one is that the public would associate any flag raised on you know Boston City Hall's third flagpole to be government messaging or speech. So that's one kind of factor. What would a, and here we actually come to something that, that sounds like the, the endorsement test a little bit. What would a reasonable observer uh, think when you know walking down whatever it is, Tremont Street there and you know looking over at the, at the, at this horrible structure and seeing these three flagpoles, well, it would think that the city of Boston was taking a position. Uh, if it did, if it didn't know any better, right? If it wasn't sort of plugged into the fact that this third flagpole has been has been used by private uh, people to to make various statements, that's number one factor. The second factor is the degree of control over the decision whether to grant these applications. So the the first circuit said, well, look, because the city exercises control. Um, over the decision, it's got this application format, right? It, it sort of makes decisions about which flat, which flags to approve and which which not to. Um, it had not created the First Circuit said um, what in what in free speech doctrine is called a designated public forum for speech. That is a forum that is completely open to private speech. Um, in the same way that, you know, like a city park or something would be. And so um, as to the Establishment Clause claim, that is that even if this is government speech, the city can't violate the Establishment Clause when it speaks, right? That was the, that was the claim, that was one of the claims being made by, by uh, Camp Constitution here. The First Circuit rejected that claim, rejected the claim that the city had discriminated either between religion and non-religion, um, 
or as among religions in denying its application. It said, look, uh, yeah, the Establishment Clause may not require a secular, purely secular flag policy, but the city has discretion to take into account that, you know, people might think that by flying this flag, it was endorsing religion, uh, even if it isn't endorsing religion. Right. Okay. So that was the First Circuit. Now, uh, the court, that is the Supreme Court, heard oral argument in January. And the way the argument played out, it seems there are now two main issues before the court. Number one, was this government speech or private speech? Um, and if it's government speech, the petitioner has no constitutional right to have the city display his flag. The government can craft its own message. This, you know, these, these cases Mark mentioned, summum, etc. That's the end of the case. Uh, if it's private speech, that is, the city has created a so-called designated public forum. I, I must say, Mark, as a non-free speech person, these, these things always confuse me, these designations and whatever. But the idea, okay, is if the city has created a designated public forum where citizens can express their views, then the city can't discriminate based on the content of the speech or the viewpoint. Again, I'm always confused by these things. But the idea is that if it's if it's open to the public, then the government cannot refuse to fly flags with a religious viewpoint, but allow flags that have a secular viewpoint. Okay, so let's go through this. Mark, the court spent a lot of time at oral argument on the first issue about was this government speech? Why don't you tell us about it? What, what way do you think the court's going to come out on that issue? Yeah, I agree with you, Mark. There was, there was a lot of discussion. This is really, I think this is, as, as, as you sort of hinted at the beginning of the podcast, this is the key issue in the case. Um, there was a lot of discussion about whether this was or wasn't government speech. Chief Justice Roberts asked several times to different different counsel um, whether the record was sufficiently developed on this question, whether more facts were needed. Justice Barrett asked a number of questions about which factor in the government speech analysis, whether the reasonable observer's impression about this about the who's doing the speaking on the one hand or the degree of official control over the speech on the other, which one was primary. Uh, she seemed to think that the second factor was the most important factor. Justice Alito then intervened and said, no, you know, they're equally important. Justice Kagan asked about this. Um, so I think, you know, the, the, there, there seems to be some question here uh, about um, the degree of control, or, or at least the city is certainly trying to create some questions. Uh, about the degree of control. I think that obviously would be the optimal outcome for them is for this to be sort of sent back, uh, 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 you know, to to uh, for further fact finding about this issue. They could try to indicate a little bit more about just how much control they they had over these policies and so on. But look, if they can get past, if, if petitioner can get past the chief justice's concerns about the record, uh, in my view, at least in light of the very minimal control exercised by the city over what was raised in, in light of the fact that, I mean, every single application, but this one was granted. Um, it doesn't seem like they exercised very much control at all to me, at least from what's in the record. So I think a majority concludes, if I were to, if I were to guess, a majority, I mean, I think a pretty strong majority concludes that this was not government speech. Okay. Well, assuming the court says this is not government speech, um, a few of the justices, for example, Justice Barrett, suggested Boston could in the future make very clear this is government speech and end all these controversies. And that, that seems right to me. Yeah, it seems right to me too, Mark. I mean, I think the city is going to have no trouble 
in, in the future about this issue. It might simply be clearer about what it does and doesn't approve and, and make clear that this is its own speech through a variety of, of mechanisms. Um, so I, I, in some ways, you wonder a little bit, other than perhaps a little bit of money, just what it is the petitioner is going to win here. Well, and the justice and the justices said that a few times. I think Justice Breyer said, "Well, what's really going on here? Just say, okay, the past is the past. We made a mistake, and we can, you know, do what we want." It's, it's as I said at the top of the podcast. It's just a puzzling case to me. Okay, well, let's move on to the second issue. If it's not government speech, uh, but this is instead a designated public forum for private speech, was this denial illegal discrimination against religion by the city, either content or viewpoint? Um, and here, as the poet Stephen Crane would say, is the strange part. That's a 19th century poetry reference, Mark. Um, the that's, city that's, cons- that's, that's way, way too late for me. I only, <laughs> I only focus on uh, uh, poetry that's at least 2,000 years old, Mark. Okay, Stephen Crane, 19th century American poet. Okay, anyway, um, the city concedes the point. In response to questioning at oral argument, the city conceded that if these displays are in fact private speech on government property, the city cannot discriminate against religious viewpoints. I mean, they said it expressly in the argument. Now, what about the fact that the city told Shirtleff when they denied his application that they they don't display religious flags? The city said an oral argument, well, that was because the city thought these were government speech. The flags were government speech, as we've seen. Okay, so to my mind, this concession pretty much takes care of issue number two. Uh, If the court decides this is private speech, this case is over. The court can say this is private speech and the city conceded at oral argument that it cannot exclude religious viewpoints from this public forum. So we don't need to address the issue. Reverse judgment for petitioner. I mean, why, why isn't that the likely result here, Mark? Yeah, I, I think it's probably right. I mean, I agree that it's bad news for the city uh, at, at that point, if, if it gets to this point. I mean, there, there is an additional step here, which which I don't think that the city is actually pressing at this stage of the case, um, but that it did at one point press. Because if this is content-based discrimination, it's not just an automatic loss. The, the city has to satisfy strict scrutiny. This is a standard that we've talked about before in the free exercise context. And, and that's where it seems to me that at least, again, at one point, a kind of a different sort of establishment establishment clause argument came came into play because the city at, at one point said, even if it's not pressing it now, that avoiding the appearance of violating the establishment clause is a compelling enough interest to satisfy strict scrutiny. Um, and, you know, in, in some ways, it, it also connects a little bit to the first prong of that government speech analysis that we were just talking about, that a reasonable observer would perceive this um, Christian flag to be speech by the government, right? Well, why is that a problem? Well, because the government would seem to be endorsing religion in that context. So in order to avoid the appearance of, of, of endorsing religion, um, you know, th- th- uh, uh, that seems to be a, a compelling interest, or one could argue it's a compelling interest, for having rejected petitioners' uh, a flag request. Anyways, there's a lot of kind of um, mixing up of this of the same kind of doctrine, uh, which is being used both some ways, both offensively and defensively in a number of different contexts. And and though I think as a technical matter, petitioner hasn't pressed that claim here. 
you know, it might be something that that the justices, uh, one can only hope, uh, decide to take up in order to kind of clarify for municipalities just what their establishment clause doctrine is. Could be, although look, it would in my it would just be dicta because you don't have to resolve that to settle this case. It seems to me. Okay, let's move now onto these these big themes. We're getting to this now. This I, I said this is the our the listener Kevin from Richmond suggested these themes to us, um, and that is um, the the city here. Let's follow up on what you're saying, Mark. It, the city here at one point said, look, we can't fly this flag because that would be a, that could be an establishment clause violation. And a few of the justices, uh, Justice Kavanaugh principally, but also Justice Kagan said something like this, said, look, okay, that's a mistake. Now, Justice Kagan said it's a reasonable mistake that the city made here, thinking this would be a violation. Justice Kavanaugh didn't think it was a reasonable mistake. Um, but they both said it was a mistake, and they both said, you know, this would not be an Establishment Clause violation, allowing a religious flag here along with these other secular flags. And what Kevin Walsh, our friend Kevin Walsh said to us is, isn't it interesting all these mistakes seem to be going in the same direction, right, Mark? Yeah, you know, Mark, we've seen this, as, as Kevin suggests, as, we, as we've talked about in the, in the Kennedy versus Bremerton case, we've seen it in cases like um, the Good News Club case, which is about equal access. We did another podcast a while back in a case called the Bronx Household of Faith case uh, out of out of New York City. Um, you know, it's it's. They were on the briefs in this case, by the way. I noticed that the Bronx Household of Faith, I think, filed an amicus brief in this they case. Filed an amicus uh, brief, exactly right. So this is this is a problem, and in some ways, it it relates to something that I've that I've talked about in in a in a short paper that I've called Establishment Clause Bloat. Um, which follows in some ways from the nature of the endorsement test. You know, whenever you get the endorsement test, it's about these perceptions, you know, reasonable perceptions of sponsorship and so on. Well, as time goes on, those are not very hard edged tests and people are going to have different perceptions. Municipalities are going to impose their own views and perceptions with respect to all kinds of issues. And so, you know, this is, a, I just can't resist a, a quote from, uh, Justice Kavanaugh here um, from from the oral argument, he says on the establishment quote on the establishment clause point, it seems to me that maybe the root cause of this, as some of the amicus briefs suggest, is actually a mistaken view about the establishment clause that when you have government property that's opened up for a forum for speech or for use, that there is a mistaken understanding that has existed that if you allow a bunch of secular groups and then allow a religious group to use it, then you violated the Establishment Clause by doing that. And it seems like we have had case after case that has tried to correct that misimpression of the Establishment Clause. And I'll introduce a, uh, uh, an editorial parenthetical. I don't think so, actually. I, I, I only wish that they had had case after case that have tried to correct that misimpression. At any rate, close the parenthetical, close the footnote there. And that seems to me, uh, Justice Kavanaugh continues, what the root cause is here. Yeah, well, look, maybe, maybe, and I think there is some sentiment on the court for, you know, clearing this up one more time, and maybe they'll reach out and deal with this. Um, you know, even Justice Kagan said, you know, this is a mistake, although, as I've said, she was more sympathetic. She said, I understand why the city of Boston thought it couldn't do this. Kavanaugh seems rather frustrated with the fact that the city was doing this. But I, I still think, look, we'll have to see. I, I mean, the city conceded the point at oral argument. There's really no formal reason, no logical reason why the court has to address it. 
I could see them saying, this is not government speech. The city has conceded that it cannot discriminate against religious speech if it's a, pro a public forum. Um, end of case. Judgment for petitioner, then it goes back and the city can do what it wants in the future and say this is now government speech. Maybe they reach some sort of settlement about this case and the case goes away. But we'll see, Mark. Maybe you're right. Maybe the justices will want to reach out now and say something. It, it, you, I, I, given the way that these cases uh, tend to go, uh, the narrow decisions that are reached in them, I, I tend to agree with you. You know, you might have a concurrence here and there that sort of uh, um, makes the points that we're trying to make or tries to clarify things. But yes, I mean, I think it certainly is true. Um, we've been doing these podcasts long enough to know that whenever the Supreme Court um, can uh, can avoid uh, clarifying establishment clause doctrine once and for all, it, it takes that opportunity. <laughs> True. And now, you know, Mark, we should think about another podcast, explain, okay, why is that the case? Why does the court just, just avoid clarifying this? I mean, you can think of a few reasons. One is they can't make up their mind genuinely. Two is they think if they make up their mind, it's going to cause some dissension in the country and they don't want to, you know, royal public opinion. Or three, maybe they just want to preserve some discretion for themselves for future cases. And, you know, this having the having the test be sort of indeterminate is a way they can do that. Yeah, I mean, obviously, the, the, those three sound plausible to me. You know, there are costs when when legal doctrine is is unclear and particularly when it is unclear as establishment clause doctrine has been. You know, we've we've been doing this. I remember talking in American Legion where the issues were much more cleanly presented uh, for the court to clarify the doctrine. Uh, you know, we were thinking maybe the, the lemon test would finally be be abandoned, formally abandoned by the court. One of, no. us, one of us thought that. One of us, well, right. one, <laughs> one of us, one of us thought that might happen in a case where, unlike this one, as you say, the issue was squarely before the court and, and uh, the court didn't have to reach out and grab it. So, um, yeah, I, I, I predict, I'm, I'm afraid I predict something similar to what you're describing will happen too. Well, we'll see. Okay, listeners, we're going to come back. We'll we'll let you know how this all turns out in the future. As I said at the top of the podcast, there there are a lot of law and religion cases on the docket, so it's going to be a busy uh, a busy term. Okay, well, for now, that's been another episode of Legal Spirits, our podcast series on cases and issues in law and religion. You can find past episodes archived on our website, lawandreligionforum.org, also on streaming platforms like Apple iTunes and Spotify and Android. Okay, that's it for now. See you next time.